Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi! Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. All right, so before we jump into this episode, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Brian Falduto. What a absolutely incredible human being and such a joy to record with. If you've not had a chance to listen to his new single, Big Boys Club, The Pride Remix, and our incredibly in-depth interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 163, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Flobo Boyce, a true renaissance man, and I mean that in the form of a comedian, entertainer, author, DJ, you name it, the man does it. We talk about his many talents, how he grew up, we swap wedding DJ stories, talk about his comedy, we discuss his book Graduation Day, and so much more. Lots to cover. So let's get Flobo out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from Los Angeles, California. And as I said before, a true Renaissance man, Mr. Flobo Boyce. Flobo, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? Well, it's supposed to be sunny in Southern California, but right now it's pouring. That's why it's dark in my room. And uh, I'm not a weather guy because I feel like that's the big thing to talk about. But this has been the longest, coldest, wettest California, Southern California winter I've been a part of. And I've been here 15 years. I lived in San Diego for five years. I don't remember ever having a cold winter. So, yeah, I must oh. say it must be saying something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, San Diego. Yeah, one of my favorite cities, actually, compared yeah. to L.A. That's where yeah. <laughs> so I start my interviews off the same way. And that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID world up to this point? Oh, that is a very good question. 
okay, I understand there's death and destruction. I understand that everyone kind of doubled down their politics during that time. But to me, it's actually been a blessing. You know, a lot of times COVID, uh, at least for me, reminds me of like our old F1 or NASCAR race. And that was a safety lap or virtual safety car lap. And some people lost positions. And and I did, I guess, on some level financially. But like being able to reassess what I wanted to do. Uh, I was a comedian trying to go to five different open mics at night because I thought collecting open mics made me somebody very interesting. But then I realized that the point of entertainment is to entertain and learn how to do that inside the confines of my house and in many different ways to probably get into it in the show was really what changed what I want to do. And I, and I call that the good tired. I go, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing something that's beneficial for at least myself and other people. Makes sense. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? And what was it like to grow up there? Mm-hmm. From Brooklyn, New York uh, in the 90s. So I, I had to call it myself old school now, but I met like an older Brooklyn old school guy back when there were egg creams and stuff. And that's a different kind of old school altogether. But Brooklyn was still tough. It, it was still your third parent. It taught you to do things quickly. Don't dawdle. Uh, don't leave things unattended. Uh, and to this day, I still do that as much as I can. Uh, people say I am I am direct, but I feel like only jerks say that out loud. <laughs> but I wanted to say that at least I do honesty first. And sometimes I try to be as, as cordial as I can. And that's very East Coast side of me. In fact, even though I live here in L.A., I've been here for 15 years between here and Orange County. Uh, I really feel like I'm still a Brooklyn kid at heart. You know, it's funny. I've been to New York four or five times and you always hear that you know the stereotype you know like everybody's very brash you know and very you know competitional but mm -hmm. one of the, my favorite memories ever was uh, i was walking i went to the empire state building to do some sightseeing and i walk out and some guys there i said hey you know i was opening the door for him i said have a great you know have a great rest of your day he goes you have a nice fucking day too and i'm like right on man i know i'm in yeah now. <laughs> exactly it's not even so much like honesty or being blunt it's kind of like if we feel it we say it i had yeah. to learn how to how to ultimately say different things living out here Right. Like if, I didn't, if I didn't want to go to your party, I'm like, nah, I go, man, don't look for me. But here I had to be like, oh, I'm definitely coming. But I have work eight hours before. But if I'm tired then, I will maybe not see you. Like it's something yeah, right. I had to acquire being out here for so long. Now, you mentioned that you are a child of immigrant parents. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, my parents came to the country different years in the 1970s from Barbados, uh, which is kind of interesting because growing up, nobody really knew where that was. Uh, so I, I would just say West Indian in general. Uh, but thank the Lord for Rihanna because that <laughs> put that country on the map. And so people know where that is now. But but I, I would say this. Yes, my parents, if you saw them on the street, you would just say, hey, look, they're black. But since they're from a Commonwealth nation, they're essentially were British, right? We smell right. things differently. We we had morning tea and afternoon tea and, and we called cookies biscuits. And a lot of ways it was foreign, but a lot of ways it, it wasn't. And so the stereotype is true about Caribbean people or West Indian people uh, that we had, my parents had eight jobs between them or seven jobs between them. And uh, I was a latchkey kid at seven years old. I got my first set of keys when I was seven. And I walked three blocks from my elementary school uh, home every day, I made myself a snack before my parents came home. So a lot of that stuff, that, that self-reliance, that self-independence comes from that. I don't try to lord it over anybody because I know everyone has a rough life. I know everybody works hard. But I will say that I didn't learn that till going to college that not every kid gets to have to play with themselves. I mean, with toys, not like, not like oh, that. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 or entertain themselves where their parents are working night jobs, afternoon jobs, and day jobs, right. or learning how to do your laundry at, at seven years old, or, or learning how to iron your clothes at eight because your parents run around. Uh, but I do think that kind of helped me out as a as an adult, for sure. Right. You know, it's funny. I've lived in the United States now for 30, going on 33 years. I'm, and I moved here from the from the UK. Oh, and, wow. And like I said, I still, to this day, 
call you know biscuits you know i still call them crisps i still call spell yeah. certain words with a u when people look at me like what is wrong with you i'm like this is the proper this is the queen's english <laughs> so anyway then yeah. what part of uh, the uk let me asking south wales oh fantastic actually so not to make this about me but uh my my mom when she left uh, west indies in 1970s she lived in scotland uh to do her nursing practicum but they call it uh, midwifery and so she lived in a town called Sterling. So this past January, I actually went to the United Kingdom uh, just to see where she walked in her, in her mid-20s and by trains because there were rail strikes and all that jazz. I've ended up in Wales for like a good 15 minutes in a town called Newport. And so mm-hmm. I, I have touched Wales soil one time in my life. <laughs> I went through Newport uh, a couple months ago. I was trained just going straight from, you know. But yeah, I know exactly where Newport is. So <laughs> yeah. You hold a bachelor's and a master's from Flagler College and Chapman University. That's correct. Any favorite memories from your time there? Uh, Flagler College is more cultural. Uh, just to give a little bit of backstory. So I'm from New York City, Brooklyn, but St. Augustine, Florida is the opposite. It's in North Florida, which is very, very Southern. Uh, 11,000 people. First time I saw Confederate flags on trucks. First time I saw a pickup truck with gun racks. First time I understood about the the country club conservative. Uh, no offense to anyone's listening, but there's a certain kind of time of that. Uh, that was very, very much of a, a rude awakening. Things closed down at night. People took off for church. Like that was the culture shock there. And and for a lot of people, I was their only black friend. Um, not to make it a racial thing, but it is a racial thing when people have these stereotypes because they haven't seen people who look like you before. So any right. question that they had, you were in a being an ambassador on that. This is why I use to this day, say I'm a Brooklyn ambassador because I was answering questions about my people or culture or my city for as long as I can do it. Chapman, because it was a bigger university, was kind of a, a learning process about how insignificant an individual student is. College costs a lot of money. Facilities are important. It's an arms race to get kids to get enrollment up. But when I went from an undergrad of 2000 to a graduate school about about. 10 times that much, it really felt like, what's your student number? You know, you got to, you give the person that was graduating you the card so they can read your name. <laughs> they don't get it wrong the day you graduated. It was very, very personal. So I had learned to love my time in Florida. And I always say, after my accent went, was the four years I was in North Florida. So I don't sound like a, hey, I'm over here. Get out of here, you know? But uh, but Orange County and Chapman University was definitely like the, oh, this is what most people think of when they think about a college. Sure. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, the fl- kind of the same story, but the flip side of it is growing up in, in Wales, never met a black kid, never met a black man until I moved to America. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, people are like, how is that possible? Like, if you live in Wales, you know, just where I was growing up, there were none. So when yeah. I came, you saw them on TV and what have you and read them, you know, in magazines. But when I came to America, I remember there was this one black kid in my class. And I was like, you know, 10 years old and I'm bothering him with like all these questions. Right. You know? I did, thankfully, he, you know, he took mercy on me, but I'm just like, I just didn't know. I was curious, you know, but Absolutely. now, you know, but now, you know, my, my brother-in-law, you know, my, my brother-in-law is black and I, it's just nice to be invited in that culture. You know, you just, you, you said it was an education for me. Oh, absolutely. I, I do think, and, and I know there's some jerks out there, and we can go into detail about how people can be jerks, but ultimately, if if it comes from a place of innocence, I try to treat it as like someone that generally wants to know. Right. If you By a third or fourth question, you'll know whether or not they're curious or they're trying to find something funny, then you can like you know put the walls up. But right. it, it is a first uh, thing being in a class, being the only black kid, for example, and someone's talking about like the civil rights movement, and they all look at you like, what do you think? You're like, I wasn't around then, but I'll take a stab <laughs> at it, you know? So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So what enticed you most about pursuing degrees in communications and film? So to take a story back, when I was uh, in high school, I was going to be a finance major. 
Um, well, high schools don't have majors in that sense. We had my my high school had houses. I went to James Madison High School, uh, the same high school uh, Bernie Sanders or Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Judge Judy went. And uh, you got to pick what you want to do. Finance was mine. Uh, one of the things they had was the Academy of Finance, which basically puts you in extra finance classes on top of your normal workload. But you had an internship uh, during the summer at a financial bank or something. So my my internship was at Citibank, uh, and I was in the media services department. And New York City compared to California is very conservative. You wear a suit and tie to go to work every day. But the media guys didn't. They wore normal clothes. They make cool videos. They made commercials for the brand. And I said, oh, this is what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I applied to a bunch of schools. Uh, I was so afraid of going out west back then. Uh, so I went to a small liberal arts college with a, with a television news emphasis in Flagler. Uh, I did their, their program doing that. And when I was at Flagler, I went, well, I want to try filmmaking. And I went to California doing that. So I had all intents of being a finance person because I heard finance people made money. But the first spark of the flame of passion came from communications and entertainment. And I've been entertainment ever since in different jobs, of course. But every time I've gotten an entertainment job, I go, oh, man, this makes me feel good about what I'm doing. That's awesome. Now, you are known on the stand-up circuit. What appeals to you most about telling jokes in front of a crowd? Um, I like to compare it to being a firefighter. Uh, and that is you can have all the experience in the world, but you don't disrespect the element, right? You can still get burned. So I grew up watching The Tonight Show. Uh, for me, The Tonight Show is with Jay Leno. I know it's a very product of my time because there's a Carson guys, there's Fallon guys or gals. But to me, it was with Jay Leno. And I'm a, and I'm a, Co I'm a Conan guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand. I read those books too, The War for Late yeah. Night and The Late Shift. Uh, I'm a big nerd when it comes to that stuff. And and, and like like Code is a perfect example. You know, I grew up watching my dad work all day. Uh, he worked for Transit Authority, the subway system in New York City, which is a very a New York job. And he didn't really laugh much, right? As an adult, I get it because it's tiring. But you would watch him, and and before he went to bed, he you just you said a little bit of levity of his day, and it brought some joy to him. My mom was a nurse; she worked overnights at Brooklyn Hospital. But when when Lena was on, we all laughed together, and I wanted to replicate that. So my entire dream, I mean, dream in that I thought it would never happen, was oh man, it'd be kind of cool if I had my own late night talk show if I was a comedian. And if it wasn't for my near-death experience uh, 10 years ago this year, actually, I wouldn't even try because it was just a dream off in the corner until it was like, you got to do this. And I got to always sing. I've done jobs in all different segments before. I've worked the pallet jack. I worked in retail. I delivered growth. I sold hand sanitizer from Nigerians door to door. But every time I had an entertainment job, it was like, oh, no, this is I feel like this, that I'm, I'm needed here. That's actually what you you're you're on the show right now. That is this is my way of emulating the Tonight Show. I always wanted no. It's it, that's the thing about it. I I remember back in the day Johnny Carson. Johnny mm -hmm. Carson didn't just have you know Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston on his show. He yeah. had you know doctors, astronauts, um, you know all these people from different walks of life. And somewhere in between Jay Leno and and the Fallon, that got blurred. And it's just you know everybody's like a list celebrities come on there to plug their stuff. Oh yeah, that's what, that was my way of emulating that, and of course, then you just mentioned Leno. I met, I've met Jay Leno. Oh yeah, he, he came on board the aircraft carrier when I was in the Navy. Nice guy. <laughs> until the whole late night thing happened, and then. Sure, sure, sure. But I've always been a huge Conan fan. And Conan O'Brien said something, and I'll, I'll move on in a second. But I will say this: when Conan O'Brien left the Tonight Show, his final episode, he said something that I have. In, I'm looking at it right now in Blaze, and that says, you. "Is and the words are." No one in this life thought they were ever going to get what they deserved they're going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, 
amazing things will happen. And I have, I will put that on my tombstone when I die one day. I remember that. Uh, just two quick notes of that. Uh, one, Craig Ferguson was the only person I thought in the modern era that did that, that brought people from all walks alive. In fact, he got a Peabody for interviewing Desmond Tutu. And and two, I'm not in the military. I want to make that really, really clear for your listeners. But the United States Air Force has this program called the Honorary Commanders Program, where as a civilian, you get to go and, and go on the base and be activities. I was inducted this week, like literally this, the, the, the day we're recording it, the Monday, I was at Travis Air Force Base getting inducted doing that and seeing how these entertainers come from all over to entertain uh, the troops. It's just so much fun to watch. Hopefully, I get to do that at some point in my life. So, <laughs> I, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but since we're doing it now, let's go ahead and talk about it. It's like, how did that all come about? Uh, what, what, what exactly? The, the honorary commander of the 60th Mobility Wing. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I was a fat kid growing up, and, and, and I was like morbidly obese. By the time I was in college, I was like 375, or I weighed about a, a 26.9 stone. If you do the imperial units of measurement, uh, I, I actually wanted to serve in the military because I was 16 years old when Twin Towers fell. And uh, that was the best recruitment poster I've ever seen because it wasn't the attacks on the Twin Towers. It was somebody destroyed my hometown. Like it was like right across the river. The smoke came over. You smelled the rebar in the air for about a day and a half afterwards. And so I wanted to do it, but I was too heavy. And it, it, it did sting at the time having Uncle Sam saying, we want everyone, but not you. Um, and but I always wanted to do it as for why the Air Force. I think everyone has a fantasy of, of Top Gun, right? Even that was a Navy movie, uh, Top Gun of, of holding the helmet with the with the plane in the background and the, and the hard guitar riff. But what I also heard about that unit when all the, the, the units come for career fairs, they were the most aloof. Like the Army and, and Marines had like this drive to get the most people. So they're like, hey, you, you're the Army. Hey, you, you're the Marine Corps. You are be tough with uniform. The Navy was kind of there, but I mean, nobody really liked boats in New York like that. Like it was like, ah, whatever. But the Air Force is always like, yo, here's a pamphlet. Read it if you want to. Let us know if you want to do it. Not a big deal if you don't. We're just here because we have to be here. And I respected the hell out of that. So it all kind of came together then. And so that was always something that gnawed at me because I feel like if I went to the military, my whole life would change better or worse it would be a split a hard split in my life had i enlisted um so when this came up at the time at la air force base uh, i applied and you can do it through a, a form they have on their website but the problem the problem what had happened was uh the los angeles air force base is now the los angeles space force base and i don't think my application got there but it did get the travis air force base which is about 360 miles away uh, in Fairfield, California. I got a phone call in December, asked if I was interested. I got accepted. And I think after I accepted, they go, oh, you live in LA. Can you still do that? And I was like, I don't think you understand how this important this is to me. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And now I'm in a part of my career now. I, I can I say this jokingly, but you can Google my name. My stuff, my stuff comes up. That I can help out uh, a branch of the military. I've always wanted to help out. I'll be in this capacity. I definitely would. That's awesome. I want to just take it back real fast because we're going to talk about your 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 comedy one second, but there is something yeah. you just said. Did you see the attacks on 9-11? No. So I lived in Brooklyn, which is like southeast Brooklyn. So it would be right. too far to see it. My brother uh, worked in the city at the time and we couldn't catch him uh, all day. And so we thought he was injured uh, in there. But I mean, the smell was in the air with the rebar uh, right. at the time. And then my brother came home. He was covered in like the soot that had uh, enveloped uh, the city. And people don't really realize it's two things. One, it was really warm that day. Uh, it almost felt like a, like a nice, it was a beautiful summer day. Like you couldn't see it coming. But September 12th was like the first days of COVID. It, there was like no one on the street. Everyone who was outside who was saying, stay safe. 
people were flying flags and it i mean a cynic person can say we only care about our country when it's the olympics or a national tragedy occurs but it was the first time i really saw some solidarity where people from all over the world uh were sending us images and, and bring me 2001 video <laughs> that that hey look we're american too uh during that you know the amazing thing you say that is and i've gone into great detail on my show before is i was in the navy when this happened i was off the coast of california and when they, after the, the attacks, what happened, and we we were there, you know, preparing to shoot planes down, which thankfully we didn't have to, but we would never. They cut all the communications off to the ship, mm-hmm. so we never got to see the, you know, the concerts and the patriotism and the flag flying and all that. We didn't get back to the actual, you know, to San Diego for two weeks, mm-hmm. and by that, all that had already kind of wind down already. So. Mm-hmm. I only ever heard those stories. I've never, I've ever actually got to physically see it. So when I hear what you're saying, that that's you, basically, you're my eyes for what I couldn't see. So that's very, very. Thank you for that. Oh no worries. I mean, at 60 years old, it scared the hell out of me. But but I'm glad I'm able to share on your show for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I want to go circle back to your comedy, um, cookies and beer. Yeah, cookies what and is, beer. What is the response to the live album been like? Uh, so the that was the first one I did, and it reminds me of macaroni art. At the time, it was a great, you look back, you go, I could do it better. Uh, I had been doing comedy about a, a year at the time, two years at the time, and I said I wanted to do an album. And I believe in albums. I know, I had this thing about the word special. I thought the word special has been overused. Uh, there's just so many specials out there. You wonder if it was special anymore. Um, I'm from the generation where there was only like six specials a year in HBO, and you cleared your schedule, so watch a Chris Rock or Danny Murphy. Oh, Carlin, yeah. Carlin was, was one of my dad's favorite comedians, so like only my mom wasn't around, my dad would not listen to him. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I felt like I was able to do something long, because in L.A., you fight for time. Uh, you get like five minutes or three minutes, and you and that kind of trains you to be like a quick hit kind of comic, because you have such little time. And there's also bringer shows where you're supposed to like either pay or bring other people who are buying tickets to the go. But they're able to tell yourself, hey, look, you've been doing this long enough, you can go five, 15, in this case, 25 minutes, but the world to me. So the story comes out. I was going to my girlfriend's house at the time. And uh, I actually mentioned this in the last, uh, the last track of it, but I had put two things. She wanted a bottle of wine for dinner, but I was also cheating on my diet. So I put a lollipop on the conveyor belt and the person scanning my groceries was like, what are you doing with, with, with alcohol and candy? Like she was looking at me like I was being a creep. And I was like, no, 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 it's me. In fact, if I was going to be a creep, I'll do it with cookies and beer. And that was kind of the thing. So to me, it reminded me of like adulthood, how we have the responsibilities and paying bills. But I guess what I thought adulthood was, wasn't what my dad lived because I was still playing video games for the first nostalgia generation. I can get off the show right now, go to YouTube and go 90s cartoons and watch nostalgia at any point in time. So we have like this weird arrested development childhood going with us at all times being a millennial so i want to mix those two together but the reaction has been really good it was it was cool people didn't think it was possible for someone at my level to do an album and that's why i, I want to get back and do the album number two and, and, and so on i couldn't find any information out there so i'm just gonna go ahead and ask have you performed at the comedy store uh the first time i performed comedy was at the comedy store okay. uh, i actually mentioned this in my book graduation day so adam barnhart is, is a comedian in la uh and he reminds me a lot of me and him and him and me he's a he's a gay man in his 50s and he opened for andrew dice clay which if you know who andrew dice clay is you know how hard that was to open for <laughs> yes andrew dice clay being a gay man and so his fearlessness is something i always try to, to emulate when he taught me the art of comedy he never taught me how to write a joke he always says look focus on your perspective the comedy will come he was the paid regular at the comedy store and so you take his course your your graduation of his class was three minutes at the comedy store 
which I didn't really realize how big that was until the day of. And you, I don't know if you ever if you see the picture of it, but like it's black and it has like the white signatures of all the comics who were there before you. It really felt like the perfect thing to have a graduation show. I had told a friend on Facebook I was doing it. Of course, the thing was public, so seventeen of my friends showed up, didn't expect it, and that three minutes felt like an eternity. Uh, but that's when I realized I knew that comedy is something I wanted to do. Another entertainment job, but just going out there at the comedy store. That's the belly room, by the way. They're upstairs. You know, it's funny. Uh, I had another comedian on who name just escapes me at the moment, but they confer- they compared the name of the comedy store. It's like the Vatican of comedy. It's like if you go there, it's like it's it's like the the mecca for yeah. comedy. Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, everybody's played there. So they, they have renovated the upstairs, but there used to be a giant green room. And if you're performing at night, you can get there like at seven thirty and just camp out. And see everyone coming and going and, and trade stories and people some people talk to you like guys like like Mark Mayer, not the name drop, but Mark Mayer will stop and ask ask you questions or workshop things with you. He wasn't working on his own stuff. And other comic which I won't name who are way more quote unquote famous will show up and look at you and sneer and go about their business. But it was a cool place in the first six months where I just wanted to be a sponge just to see how everyone chat or how they got food together, how, what what they what made them laugh, who was parking the cars, that sort of thing. As we say, moving on in this interview, you are a jack of many trades, a renaissance man, in my humble opinion. Uh, <laughs> if I was to hire you for a wedding, what is it like to book you and what do you bring to the table? Well, I tell my couples this, you know, you can get a, a DJ, they're a dime a dozen. In fact, some cheap family members would say, how about using a playlist? But what makes booking with me fun is that your day is special to you. You spent so much time with the florist and the right cake and the right colors and shades. Don't you want someone to treat your day as special as it is? And I tell that to my couples. You text, call, or email me. Six hours or less, you get a response. But more importantly, day of, they are superstars. I'm a big wrestling fan. And so when I do my grand entrance, I make them feel as if they're champions of the world. Or if they have a perfect song they want, I make sure they're on the dance floor when it drops so they can dance. Or if something is lagging or, or taking too long, I can grab the microphone and try to guide everyone along. That's where it's gentle, but forceful. You need that human touch. And, and I think that with my experience as an entertainer, understanding subjective time, because two hours could be very, very short sometimes or very, very long, depending who's on stage. Uh, I always put that into to what I can offer because there's a lot of DJs out there that do what I do, but I don't think a lot of them are MC trained. And if they are MC trained, they're not really good DJs. So that balance is actually pretty rare. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you the same question in a second. Um, I DJed weddings for five years. Um, do you have a horror story uh, from one of your times there? Uh, well, I do, but what horror story in particular? Like, you're talking well, about clients? You're talking about equipment yeah. failure? You're talking about clients, about, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'll share no. mine if you share yours. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you ever did a Casa de Cielo. Cielo? It's C I E L O, the Malibu. Okay, so it's a venue on top of a hill, and DJs can drive up there, no problem. But if you're a guest, you have to take a bus. So you have to like get the, the base camp, and the bus takes you up there. Long story short, you're pretty much there the entire night, and the bus is coming to get you back. So I'm up there, I'm DJing, and uh, it's dinner time. And so now, as we do, as we call speeches or toasts. And so we, you know, we turn off the music, we ask everyone something you want to say. Um, bride and groom are at the sweetheart table, which is basically the little side table for the groom the couples. And I go, hey, uh, the couple wanted an open mic. So if there's anyone here that wants to say a few words for the bride and groom, go ahead and say it. Which, side note, never offer an open mic at your wedding. Because if everyone jumps on, it takes forever. And if no one jumps on, it's awkward as hell. And I have to cover for you. But on, <laughs> on, on this particular day, the best man decided to go full love actually. 
and was like, look, oh, I just want to no. say you picked the wrong man. You should have married me today. I should be sitting there. You think I love you. This guy doesn't. And I don't know what was is in his mind, but he wasn't like, you're right. Let me go marry you now. She was like, oh, this is awkward. But now he confessed his heart, got rejected in front of everybody. He can't even leave because he's on top of this hill until the buses come <laughs> before I was later. And I'm like, what do I do now? Do I, do I, do I put the air horns on? <laughs> oh, he got messed up. And so that was hands down one of the most cringiest moments I've ever been a part of. I was doing a DJ. This is going back about 13 years now. It was at yeah. this very fancy club. It was uh, for it was an oil person. He was a he was into oil. He was a lot of money, and this wedding at least cost at least quarter of a million dollars without question. Ooh. Anyway, wedding's going great. Everybody's drinking, you know, Dom Perignon champagne, and I mean it's really, really, you know, everything's flowing. Everything's going good. The father, the the best man goes gives a speech. Um, the, the maid of honor gives her speech, and then the father of the bride says, "I want to say some words." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is new. He gets up there, takes the microphone, and proceeds to tell the whole world what a mistake her daughter is making and how she should have married the best man instead. Oh, so similar. Uh, oh, very similar. And my dad, we were DJing at this, it was it was our business together. I look at him and I'm like, do I cut him off? And he looks at me and goes, He's paying the bills. Let him talk, man. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, dude, the, the I felt bad. The bride was mortified. the The best man was he, like so embarrassed, and it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a bad day, bad you day at the office. You gotta have like a song cued for that, like I don't know, like like it's like Hollywood swinging or something. But yeah, it, it, that whole it went on for like five minutes, and finally, oh. I think he just like either dropped the mic or he gave it back to me. I can't remember what, but he just. Yeah, that was a bad day at the office. Yeah, he's cringe city. Oh, man. (laughs) All right. So I want to ask you about your book, Graduation Day, Life Lessons from the Real World. Yeah. Uh, What was the inspiration to write that? So taking a step back from that book, I, I'm a fiction writer, uh, and I like writing short stories, and I had a novella, it was called Pay the Vague. It took me three years to write, and it, it wasn't my greatest work, looking back on it, and it didn't sell well. And so I thought I was done with writing. In fact, my mom, who's my biggest fan that comes to things like this, was like, it wasn't written well. So if my mom didn't like it, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm a hack. I quit. So I told myself that I'm going to I'm gonna quit writing, but I'm going to do just a memoir to say I, I've done it. So this is a, a check off the list kind of thing at first. This is going to be my graduation day. And so I was like, what is this memoir going to be about? And the more I thought about it, it's 2021. So the, the COVID thing was going. We weren't out of it yet in California because we had stringent lockdown rules. I go, you know what? When I graduated college, this is actually the first chapter, my commencement speaker was like a regional manager for Walmart. Like it, it wasn't Oprah, it wasn't Conan, it wasn't Jim Carrey, it was a guy that worked at Walmart, a middle manager, if you want to be honest with you. And I said, well, I could do a better job than that. So each chapter talks about uh, something I came across in my adult life, my post-college life, uh, a, a mistake, uh, a loss I took, whether it's me flying to Italy to save my DJ business or me starting a stationary company to when it goes belly up or or me trying comedy for the first time or me becoming a wrestling announcer for the first time. And what I learned from that is if I was going to give 18 or 21-year-old myself some advice. And so at the end of that book, I actually write a commencement speech as if my undergrad asks me to do it, but it's chock full of like, hopefully funny <laughs> anecdotes of how I traverse that 20s and 30s of my life. Because I really felt that once I got out, all that don't give up and just pray really hard wasn't really doing it for me. But now I had actionable things I can tell people with value. What has the reception of the book been like? 
it's ironic because it's like the most selling book I've ever sold. Uh, people love it. They want part two. And I go, that was supposed to be the swan song. That was supposed to be the end. I don't have that many losses to talk about. <laughs> uh, but it, it was enough of a response to really make me consider about keep keep going along with it. Uh, I, I think now a lot of my friends now who decide to have kids early, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 38 in June, those who decide to have kids out of high school now have kids going to college now. And and so I've gotten uh, opportunities to, to, to sign books and send them to them or answer their questions on my behalf because these kids nowadays have the luxury or misfortune, depending on the look at it, to growing up with YouTube and seeing how you can become a YouTuber and that could be a viable career. So they want to know how I'm doing it or how do I navigate it so they can use that to their own stuff. So it, it's really become like a, a weird tablet to, <laughs> Of a stone tablet, like knowledge and anecdotes that I can uh, pass down. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Flobo Boys. Message that you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMikeHistory.com. Hello, Duvall Nation. Derek Duvall here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours, too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Did you not think that in a state would change the plans that we have made? 
Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my heart And it surprised me. That's the thing. That's the thing. She just needed a big hug and to know she wasn't alone. This is the Life Shift Podcast. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and on the Life Shift, I have candid conversations with people about the pivotal moments that have changed their lives forever. I would literally just say, I love you. Those words alone would probably make my younger self, like, look at me like I'm crazy. I would just say, I love you. You know, I love you, man. That's it. As simple as that. Straight up honest with you, I would tell past Christina, cut your hair, do whatever you want to do to your body. It does not matter because it is your body. It does not impact anyone else and you will still be the person you want to be. We all have our stories, but through these conversations, we discover communities. We learn that there are commonalities through the ups and downs that we all face. But most importantly, we learn that we're not alone. I didn't know that I deserved it. I didn't know that I could have better. I didn't know that I was worth more. That's such an important point, that being in a place where I was low, just no other way to put it, very low, depressed in that six-month period, I would say that now, as a result of being in that place, I'm able to be a little more empathetic and understanding when someone comes to the table and they're a little bit down. I'd be like, girl, just buy some hair, stick it on your head, and rock it. You're gonna be awesome no matter no matter how you look, no matter if you have one strand of hair on your head or a big thick head of hair, it doesn't matter. The Life Shift Podcast highlights life-altering moments and humanizes the struggles and the triumphs through them all. And I can tell you that at the end of the day, when something is hard on us at the station, uh, we're all different people, but we sit down as one. And we look at each other and we cry and we laugh and we go through whatever emotion we have to go through to get through the calls that we had to see because we realize the importance. We tend to get attached to the worst version of ourselves because it's comfortable. And we do have a best version of ourselves that is available for us if we do the work. 
So I would say that to her, you're gonna be okay, but don't get attached to this bad version of yourself. Please subscribe to the Life Shift Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to a new episode every Tuesday morning. You're very kind to the past versions of people, understanding that, you know, that was what you knew at the time. It took me a long time to come to that awareness and to not be mad at that version of me. This is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Welcome back to episode 163 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the jack-of-all-trades, Flobo Boyce. So I want to move on. What is new Amsterdam Entertainment? Yeah, so actually it was the stationery company I was referring to. Uh, when I had my day job at this uh, mortgage lender, they, they, it's called Gold, Golden Handcuffs. They overpaid me to do a very simple job so I could be like a loyal soldier. So instead of me just sitting on it, I used that money to start a notebook business. Uh, as a comedian, I had rapper friends, even though we had our phones, we had apps, all of us like writing down on notebooks. And we Moleskin was the book we used, but Moleskins were $20 each. And ones that weren't moleskins were super cheap and would fall apart. And so I learned how to source a product-based business. I learned quickly why businesses outsource things overseas because American labor is not the best. (laughs) Something I didn't know at the time. (laughs) But I had my own notebook company where the idea was the extra cash I got from my day job, I would siphon into the marketing, the research and development of that. And then I lost my job. I got uh, on Thanksgiving Day, 2017, I got a call from accounts payable for my day job asking about my address for my 401k disbursement. I go, why do you want my disbursement address? And they go, oops, sorry. And it turns out they were downsizing me and that money dried up. So I had a stack of like notebooks just of this failed business. And so it was kind of an embarrassment for me for a long time, New Amsterdam was. But I decided since I had the URL, I had the DBA, why not leverage that? And so I started a podcast for creatives called New Amsterdam Radio. And that really became like the impetus for what I do now. The live entertainment business, the DJ business, the esports business are all New Amsterdam Entertainment. And during uh, the COVID relief era for businesses, I decided to make that official. And so it's become like, much like how The Rock has seven bucks entertainment, when he was broke and only had seven bucks to his name, New Amsterdam was a, the, my biggest thousands of dollar failure of a notebook business. But now it's like the the, the mark of success in that way. Which leads to, you know, that into your YouTube channel. You know, I've seen many interviews, many videos you put up there. What about your YouTube channel? Um, what kind of like ideas do you express? What kind of people do you bring on? 
Yeah, absolutely. So New Amsterdam Radio, the flagship show, uh, it's more tactical. I mean, there's a lot of Instagram shows out there, a lot of um, podcasts out there. They're like, how do you do it? Oh, wow, that's great. That's inspiring. That's great. I love inspiration. What's the next guy? But I really felt that either people weren't successful and pretending that they were, or they were so successful, what they were saying wasn't helpful. Like you would have a trainer being like, oh, man, just lose weight. You'll be fine. You're like, well, <laughs> I really want those people who were in year one, year two, struggling tactically use apps they downloaded people they went to who they complained to who they, who they cry on to for that to be the inspiration part for this to let them know that we can do that as well and that's been new amsterdam radio proper but during the pandemic and i kid you not there i had about a half dozen or up to eight or nine different shows i had a show for star trek lovers called commander's log i had a wrestling show called draped in gold i did a late night kind of Jimmy Fallon talk show with Jake with games and things like that called After Hours. I was really experimenting with the live streaming format because I wanted to get those reps in because I really believe in that dream of the late night talk show, but it's changed now because I didn't realize this and going back to the UK, but what I really wanted to do is not so much late night talk, was late night variety, much like how Mexico, the Sabado Gigante, or how the United Kingdom has a show called uh, Saturday's Takeaway, right? Where you have the games, you have the, the hype, you have the element and a little bit of the interview stuff as well so to me i thought that was all practice but right now simplify things new amsterdam radio new episodes every thursday uh everyone from different walks of life who are either creative or an entrepreneur i get to ask them how they do it and their why that's awesome speaking of how they do it and the why what is the best advice anyone has ever given you oh wow um when it comes to building your own brands uh i'll say this when, when, when i used to work at fox broadcasting not to name drop, but it's very, very important because I thought I made it at the time. That was the first time I got where I said, I, I said, guys, uh, I'm in Hollywood now. To hell with you. I'm working for Fox. And four months later, the show American Idol was canceled. And so I was out of a job. My boss at the time, his name was Mark Cittadino, um, told me, look, we all progress in life, but never think life is a straight line, Right. Because when I got the job, I thought if I'm in the door at Fox, I'll do this. I'll work my way up. I'll work my way, way up, my way up. And then I'll be at the president level. And when I became a self-employed person, there are so many different avenues now that I work in. Like esports, for example. I'm a well-known esports commentator for the game Rocket League. It wasn't even a thing. I didn't think you'd get paid talking about other people playing video games. But I did that because I knew what I had. I knew the experience I had. And I leveraged it somewhere else. And vice versa. Not to brag or anything like that, but that's super important. Once you learn core skills, then you're able to apply it. So also don't be afraid to say, yes, I am knowledgeable in this area, but I want to learn from the bottom of how this particular thing works. Because I could have walked into an esports camp and go, I've been doing broadcast for 15 years. I know what I'm doing. But me saying, you know what? You're the kids. You're the future. How do you guys do it? Hey, in my experience, we did this. Okay, I'm willing to learn. That makes it so much easier for me. So be flexible, I guess, is the answer. You have a chance to talk to your youngest self. What advice do you give him? Here's this book, kid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can do that now. You know, when when I was younger, I was I was I was morbidly obese until I was about 28 years old. And so the world does treat you differently when you're heavy. And people tell things like, oh, you, you care about the personality and the inside of what you do. It's not true. Um, people do look at you weird when you come down the aisle of an airport. Uh, people do make fat jokes, and that's not a protected class, and so you have to deal with that. Um, and I will always tell this person, you will only will make the change when you feel like it on the inside. Don't listen to your, your, your aunt or your mom or your dad who says you need to lose it. But a lot of times the hate you got wasn't about you. 
I mean, the hate you got could be from your eye color, your city of origins, your skin color, your your whatever. It's true. It may not be something you can control, but that said, you got to find a way to win. You're just playing the game on normal mode or hard mode or very hard mode, but you can't let that stop you as well. You're going to get people who hate you. You're going to get those haters. You got to keep pressing on the other way. So you teased a possible second book. What is next for you? I wish I knew, man. I wish I knew. Um, as of right now, today, there is room for a second book, sure. I want to get back on the road for comedy specifically. Uh, in the esports world, uh, I'm well known in the game Rocket League, like I was saying, but I haven't been able to crack the top tier. I feel like the, the, the community knows who I am. I've gone to many major shows. I can get those photo ops or whatever, but I haven't got the call to actually be in the booth for the big shows. That's really a cool benchmark for me. I'm a big baseball person, uh, baseball guy. So I'm, I'm ballpark chasing. So I'm trying to do all 30 ballparks. And when I do that, I want to document that as well. So just to make sure I'm I'm doing something that's for like my mental health as as whatever. And hopefully with the, the rebrand of a wrestling show called NXT Europe, I can get back into becoming a wrestling podcaster because I do think that segment's saturated. But I also believe that my perspective was unique enough that it just needs the right avenue. So more broadcasting, comedy on the road, taking the show in different cities. I love the baseball park chasing thing. That's what I'm looking forward to do. You know, it's amazing you say that. Um, a couple of nights ago, I think it was back Monday, I had a young actor on my show, uh, Dallas Dupree Young. He is on Cobra Kai. And his father is a professional baseball player, Eric Young Sr., mm. uh, yeah, him and then his brother as well is apparently a famous baseball player as well. But it was kind of cool hearing him grow up around, you know, going to all these ballparks and following his dad around and stuff. That was kind of a cool little story he told. Oh, yeah. And baseball is a family game. And and I and I, the show I work with, I don't own the rights to it, but I'm a contributor on Black Baseball Mixtape, uh, mm -hmm. which is something that I really appreciated because as a fan of color, I always thought I was an island. Because at the barbershop, you're talking football, we're talking basketball. I was a I was a big kid, so football was my thing. But baseball was always like the great American sport, and especially knowing how why we integrated uh, from the Negro Leagues and basically it was a way for MLB to ensure its own revenue and how we kind of made the game flasher at the time. I kind of do it for the culture. So yeah, anytime I hear someone uh, with a little bit of love of the game, I always like you know check up to them. And being also being from Brooklyn, man, when I see someone wearing a Mets hat, I go. You're from my tribe, and I'm from your tribe. Let's talk baseball. You know, it's funny. Being British, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure maybe your parents the same way, you know, baseball in America is the only game that has the name baseball that actually means the game that's being played. Football. <laughs> football. There is no football. Nobody's using their feet oh, in football. No. No. I call, I call it carrot. I call it carry ball or, or throw you. ball or something like that. So. <laughs> if I had a dollar every time I heard that for a British person, I wouldn't have to work. Because, again, my parents are West Indian. Yeah. So they're, they're, I wouldn't have to – or my parents go, you know, it's not baseball. It's called rounders. You know what, Mom? We call it <laughs> baseball here. It's a sport for men, not children. So, I remember my dad, he, when we came over, he called it silly boy rounders. Yeah. yeah, rounders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. And then, as you know, when you aren't doing the million things that you're known for, what do you like to do with fun? What do you do to relax? Oh, man, I don't. Um, it so Because I commentate the game Rocket League, I usually play Rocket League for fun, like legitimately. Um, I also uh, have been addicted to sports YouTube videos. I watch a lot of YouTube, a lot more than I should have. 
I got Disney Plus. I, I prepaid Disney Plus for the year. So I usually have the late seasons of The Simpsons on because I guess people my age in their mid to late 30s had this thing where it's like, it stopped being funny at the season 12. And I go, okay, yeah, 13, 14, and 15 weren't great, but 17 on has been a laugh, right? So I've been working to prove them wrong. In fact, when I'm not working on any actor projects, my job to me is to break gatekeeping. Uh, I started a, a Star Trek show because I watched Star Trek Discovery and that was my first ever Star Trek, which is the new, a newer show. And I went backwards because I love the show so much. Uh, same thing. So I usually try to watch things people hate. I try to uh, practice the game. I, I commentate on his research, I guess. And then be on shows like this one where I get to talk about myself and hopefully be entertaining, crossing fingers. Please like me. You know, Please. it's funny. You, uh, you, you mentioned Star Trek. I had Tim Russ on my show a couple of years ago. What? Uh, yeah, he was talking about, you know, being a black man in Star Trek and, and so forth. One of the nicest, most well-spoken men I've ever met in my life. And I, I have the highest, highest respect for him. Top Vulcan. Top, top Vulcan. Yeah. He's supposed to be on the new season of Picard, by the way. I found oh. they, they dropped that today. I was like, that's pretty cool. I'm behind so, a Picard. I think you said, like, oh, that show was rough last season. <laughs> <laughs> that show, season two, wasn't the greatest. <laughs> That's awesome. All yeah. right. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Yeah. Uh, your listeners are the most savviest, most beautiful, most radiant individuals on the planet. So I'll give them two websites. Uh, one of them is flobito.com. That's F-L-O-B-I-T-O.com. My blog is there. Learn more about my DJ business. Uh, learn about the comedy albums and projects I'm working on. And then newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W. Amsterdam.com, new for the knowledge, Amsterdam.com. Uh, that has a list of the podcasts, uh, some of my, my comedy albums, my comedy songs I've written, and other things you can follow me on. Of course, the social media is all over, uh, but definitely those two sites will give you all the links you need. So I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Can you get in touch with my childhood hero, Tony Danza? I would love to interview him. <laughs> nice. All right. The book is Graduation Day, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Flobo, congratulations on all your success. Uh, I envy a lot of the things you're doing right now. and My listeners join me in wishing you nothing but the best success. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 163. I want to thank Flobo for taking the time to come on the show today. What a great guy. And I hope he makes an appearance again on the show down the road. Flobo, stay cool, my man. That was a fun chat. All right. Tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days. So be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have. So please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And we have everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. So on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, 
Have any of you seen the new John Wick film yet? I know we did a Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies on it, but we watched it again the other night, and man, oh man, does it hold up well. Great film. If you haven't seen it yet and you like nonstop action, you, my friends, are in for a great time. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.